page 962 in your pew Bible, if that's helpful to you. When I say attention, I am uh, intentionally using a double entendre, uh, because what we come to this morning sounds much like a general barking orders to his troops as an apostle exhorting a congregation. As we near the end of this letter from Paul to the Christians at Corinth, we're not surprised based on we know what we know about Paul's uh, letter writing uh, habits to hear him firing out now in rapid succession at the end of his letter these very compelling imperatives, a whole series of the marching orders, as it were, in military metaphor. The, that point, whatever point, uh, whatever Christian congregation should be reading them and hearing them at the time to a better way. Somewhere I read last week that these two verses really sum up the entirety of our Christian lives in five verbs. Well, maybe you will be inclined to agree when we have read them after we first pray. Gracious God, give us we pray humble and teachable and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed, that we may do what you have commanded by your strength at work in us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Dear flock, there are many ways, aren't there, in which we may falter as Christians and stumble and fail and even fall. Many times and occasions for us to fall asleep, to totter, to lose our nerve. We've certainly seen many of those examples over the past year and a half that we've spent together here in 1 Corinthians, holding up the mirror of God's law to ourselves and having our own shortcomings exposed to our view in that reflection. And just as surely as these words of Paul were meant to spur our spiritual fathers and mothers on in the faith, the saints of old into action, so they vividly call us here today, his saints in this sanctuary and all in the hearing of my voice today, to a lively faith, to a devoted life, to belief and to action as Christians and as a congregation in and by and response to the grace of God lavished upon us, and you'll hear this again and again today, His strength made perfect in us. His strength. These are our orders. That's what we just read. So we'll do well as soldiers to acquaint ourselves intimately with our orders now, and I can think of no better way than, than simply to consider them one by one. And and what the Lord requires of us as Christian soldiers. First, first Paul says we must be watchful. Other English translations say, be on your guard. 
or be on the alert. Be watchful. What we need is not only an absence of sleepiness now, of sleep, but a determined effort at wakefulness, a deliberate alertness as Christians. Lest our spiritual enemies take us before we are even aware that the danger is upon us. This is Christian vigilance. Now, here's the thing about passages like this one. Too easily, they become a slogan for us, don't they? Just mere slogans rather than realities. Too easily, we we put on a show of watchfulness. Even convince ourselves, perhaps, that we're being watchful when we're not. You're all familiar with the images of the Queen's guards at Buckingham Palace with their red tunics and their bearskin hats, right? Perched on their heads, standing erect at their posts, stoic, unflappable, undistracted. And then the changing of the guard ceremony, I understand, is quite a sight to see. Accompanied by full military band, the ceremonial is colorful, and and uh, and one regiment takes manfully charge after the other. But you might remember back in 1982, Queen Elizabeth was awakened from her sleep by the presence of a man sitting at the foot of her bed, and it wasn't Prince Philip either. What did she do? You know what she did. You tell me. What did the queen do? She... Nope. No, no, no. But you're going to know in a minute. She kept calm and carried on, right? That's what the queen does, right? Kept calm and carried on. Uh, She did eventually get around to the guards thing. That's exactly right. But um, first, she carried on this conversation on that July 9 uh, night with this man sitting at the end of her bed uh, in dirty jeans and a t-shirt. He, not she, uh, cradling a, a broken ashtray in his hand, dripping blood onto the royal linens uh, from his lacerated hands. Now, eventually, she was able to pick up the phone and call the police. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, the police didn't arrive until like 12 minutes later. And I think, so, according to some reports, they didn't even believe it was really true. It was one comedy of errors after another, really. But um, it was, in the end, a footman, actually. Not guards or police, but a footman who seized the intruder. So much for the palace guards. So much for all the regalia and the, and the ceremony. How had, how had he gotten into Queen Elizabeth's private apartments in the, in the first place? Well, this unemployed laborer, Michael Fagan, climbed up a drain pipe. We could add our own stories, of course, from this side of the pond of people who've uh, made it past our sunglass sporting black suits talking into their sleeves at the White House as well. It's entirely possible, apparently, to put on all manner of show of guardedness while failing miserably to keep guard. Slogans and Christian t-shirts and and, uh, rubber bracelets. These are not tools that will, uh, these are not sufficient to keep us on our guard for Christian soldiers when temptation is shimmying up the drain pipe and sneaking through the back window. Brothers and sisters, attacks will come from all different directions, but most of the time, 
They do not come directly head on. Thoughts. How much of our lives, my brothers and sisters, of our Christian lives are lived in our thoughts. That's where the intruders start. Thoughts and intents and motives. The devil rarely charges your front door. He knows better than that. He sneaks in the side window and he whispers. He suggests, he insinuates evil in our hearts. And then our guard down, we, we sort of let those things roll around a little bit, don't we? Those, those sugar-coated poisons, we roll them around on the tongues of our, our souls. Now, we don't intend to swallow, of course, just to savor, just to taste for a moment or two that idea, that thought. That emotion, that feeling, that fantasy, enough to stir and awaken desire just a little bit, we think, but, but convincing ourselves all the while we have this under control. Yes, I am a very attractive person. Very cool. We let ourselves think. Don't we look lovely on that Facebook page? My, how many likes already. Yes, I am clever. Look at those words I've just written. My, my. Oh, isn't she good looking? Isn't he impressive? I wonder what it would be like. Who does he think he is talking to me like that? Why does she get all the attention? What's so special about her? Why all of this hard work, these principled stands? Who really cares anyway? Just a little more rest. Ah, just a little more slumbering. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. The intruder is in the house, isn't he? He's strolling around the very throne room of your palace. Where is the guard? Asleep at the door, while the attackers wander freely about the place. And you've let them in before, haven't you? So they're not really strangers anymore. They know their way around your house. You know, it's an interesting sidebar to add here that Mr. Fagan's Chambra Boudoir conference with the Queen was not his first self-guided tour of Buckingham. He had snuck into the palace before on an earlier occasion and wandered the rooms grabbing a bottle of wine and a wedge of cheese and some crackers and then enjoyed them sitting on the throne. 
When we're not on our guard, sin subtly creeps in. Does and as mere thoughts, it comes in as as even impure motives behind what we do. Why? Why am I doing what I'm doing right now? What is my motive? For the love of God? For the praise of men? For my own aggrandizement? Let all of the would-be visitors to your hearts be halted. Not at the door, not at the window, at the fence, my brothers and sisters, and be forced to show their identification, and if need be, to be frisked for concealed weapons before they pass security. Keep watch against the world, my brothers and sisters. Keep watch against the evil one who prowls like a lion, the scripture says, to devour. Keep watch against yourself. Rise, my soul, to watch and pray. From thy sleep awaken. Be not by the evil day unawares or taken. For the foe well we know. Oft his harvest reapeth while the Christian sleepeth. Watch against the devil's snares, lest asleep he find thee, for indeed no pains he spares to deceive and blind thee. Satan's prey, oft are they who secure our sleeping, and no watch are keeping. Watch, let not the wicked world with its power defeat thee. Watch, lest with her pomp unfurled she betray and cheat thee. Watch and see, lest there be faithless friends to charm thee who but seek to harm thee. Watch against thyself, my soul, lest with grace Thou trifle, let not self thy thoughts control, nor God's mercy stifle pride and sin lurk within. All thy hopes to scatter, heed not when they flatter. To keep watch, my brothers and sisters, you will need to keep your senses sharp. Christians cannot play around, therefore, with drunkenness, with dope and drugs that dullen, with entertainment that causes the guard to doze and leave the door cracked for temptation and sin to weasel their way in. This is why Christians must also, those are the negatives, they must instead be immersed in the Word of God and in prayer, keeping their skills sharp, honing their swords. Why regular attendance to worship is so vitally important to Christians who would live the Christian life and surrounding themselves with good influences, Christian brothers and sisters, Christian fellowship and Christian accountability. Here the guard is trained in this house. Week after week, morning and evening training takes place in this house. 
attention is sharpened and heightened. And we were reminded that it is in one, one unguarded moment. That's all it takes. One unguarded moment that we undo our witness. It's in one unguarded moment that we destroy our marriage. It's in one unguarded moment that we make the stupid, foolish decision that compromises the reputation of Christ. In one unguarded moment, we undo a hundred lessons we taught to our children verbally. In one unguarded moment that we, like Peter, even deny our Savior. No wonder Peter later wrote with such gravitas and urgency, be sober-minded, be watchful, be on your guard. I know. Not unrelated is Paul's second exhortation, stand firm in the faith. It's not unrelated, I say, because it is the one who is is sharply on guard, who is also firmly in his stance, right? The two go together. And since my mind has been turned to those men with the big furry hats and red jackets at Buckingham, may I tell you about an incident a few years ago at the palace when one visitor thought it would be fun to mimic one of those guards as he marched, which is not, of course, an uncommon thing for people who love to take pokes uh, verbally and as close as they possibly can to those stoic soldiers. And so he did, walking alongside him, marching, swinging his arm in the, in the same way. All uh, fun, of course, with each step. And as usual, the guard was utterly unaffected. That is, until this uh, joker, this uh, tourist, decided to reach out and put his hand on the soldier's shoulder. And in a flash, that joker found himself looking down the sharp edge of a bayonet fixed to the business end of an SA-80 assault rifle and being ordered, full blast, get back from the Queen's Guard. You see, the Christian who strolls his way nonchalantly, unwatchfully down the sidewalk of life in his uh, spiritual t-shirt and hat backward and sagging jeans can easily find himself knocked on his backside in an instant by uh, any passerby, let alone someone intending to attack. Instead, you watchful Christian are are to stand firm that when the tempter comes and puts his hand on your shoulder, starts whispering in your ear, you saw him coming from a mile away. You have your feet now firmly set on the ground and your bayonet drawn, whatever may come against you and whoever may assault you. Now, what is that foothold that you're going to take? Paul tells us what it is. It is the faith. Stand firm in the faith. That is, stand in your confidence in the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That's the foothold for your feet in which they will stand firm. The revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That is the faith. By the way, let me add very quickly, Christians, it is not your faith on which you stand firm. Do you understand that? 
We don't stand firm on our faith. It is that on which your faith stands that keeps you standing. Do you see the difference? We don't put our faith in our faith. We put our faith in Christ. That's the solid rock. That's the foothold. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Remember from many moons ago, we were in the book of Daniel together, and we came to that history of those three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the names by which we know them best, and and how the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, still in the darkness at that time, still in the pride of unbelief and rebellion, set up a statue, a golden image, 60 cubits high, six feet, uh, six cubits wide, some 90 feet that is high, nine feet wide on the plain, and commanded that everyone, when the music played, bow down to it. Now, he didn't say that they had to stop practicing their own religions. Fine, you know, pray to your God, continue to believe in your God, Fine, fine, fine. But when the music plays, you bow to this statue, whatever it was. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was obviously uh, somewhat impressive. But these three would not. They would not bow to this. No, sir, we will not. We will not bend. In rage. Nebuchadnezzar summons and questions them. Will you not worship the golden image that I have set up? You will, you three, or you will die. You'll die in the furnace. Your choice, up to you. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands then? You know the answer. And it was that they didn't need to answer, which is exactly what they told him. Nebuchadnezzar already knew their answer, and what is more, they added, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. In a furious rage, the king had the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. So hot, in fact, that the two men who led the three bound when the doors were opened were incinerated instantly. I mean, died on the spot from the flames. They fell into the furnace, bound. But then to everyone's amazement, most of all to the king's amazement, there were suddenly not three men, but four. Four walking around in those flames. And the fourth is like the son of the gods, a son of the gods, bursts out Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, Nebuchadnezzar, we say, indeed, for the simple reason that he was. More precisely, he is the Son of God. It was Christ who met them in that furnace. It was the pre-incarnate Jesus. Because when we stand firm in this spiritual war, Christian, in which we are engaged, when you refuse to bow the knee to the world, when you stand for truth, when, when you live uprightly, and against every foe that blows against you, every force that threatens to crush you and cause you to depart from obedience to God, you never stand alone. Christ is there with you.
standing with you. Stand firm on him and with him, dear Christian soldiers. Third and fourth, act like men. Be strong. I'm taking them together because they're so much alike. Uh, one commentator even says they're synonymous. I don't think they're synonymous. I don't know that I go that far, but they are close enough together that they're worth taking together. Act like men. Act like men. I love the King James Version here. I don't know why. But quit you like men. That's some ring to it, doesn't it? Quit you like men. Be strong. Now, I confess I was a little bit embarrassed by this point and scratched my head and wondered uh, how I reach this because I haven't counted, but I think uh, at least half of our congregation, uh, maybe more, are women. And I had to stand up here and tell you uh, women to act like men. Well, of, of course, Paul's not saying that the women of the congregation should not be feminine in their deportment and in their behavior and to live according to the roles that the Lord has given, particularly to you women in the family and in the church. The scripture celebrates your femininity. He's not calling you ladies to drop your feminine beauty and your qualities that he's given you to enjoy and to adore, not for one moment, but... When it comes to your faith, there is a masculinity and must be to it in this sense. It must be strong. It must be strong. It must be tough. It must be resilient. It must be resolved. After all, dear sisters, you will not be spared the onslaughts of the enemy, of your husbands, and of your fathers. He has no regard for your femininity whatsoever. On the contrary, cruel as your enemy is, he would take all advantage of it if he could. So when it comes to the faith, let us all act like men. Be strong. Men and women, boys and girls, God calls us all to a masculine faith to quit ourselves like men, to be strong, to put all of our muscles into this battle of the Christian life and faith. Now the question for us, of course, is this. We've already hinted toward it and mentioned it several times in this worship service. Whence this strength? From where shall this strength come? I know that I'm weak. You know that you are weak, don't you? You know, if I go to the gym with my friend Julius, some of you know Julius, giant Julius, and he's bench pressing, you know, 600 pounds, and then gets off the bench and turns to me and says, your turn, be strong. <laughs> what, what good is that? I mean, Julius knows for a fact that I can't bench press one pound over 500. <laughs> Be strong. What is that? What is that? What good is that? Be strong. Until we look a little more closely at the, the word that Paul uses here and find him speaking with a particular voice, actually, in the Greek. 
a voice that is called by the grammarians the passive voice. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that we're passive in this matter, obviously, uh, in the process, just that the voice of the verb indicates that what Paul is saying here, the command is, be strengthened. Be strengthened. And how shall we be strengthened? Well, you could tell me. I mean, you know all the passages. Look anywhere in the Bible for the answer. Look at the Psalms. We sing it in this sanctuary. I lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, who, just in case we forget who he is, made heaven and earth. Or look to Paul's other epistles, to Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Or 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. How, Christian, are you going to be strong? What is the source of your strength? It is God's strength in you. It is God strengthening our weak knees and our feeble arms, strengthening us in our weakness. Indeed, His strength made perfect precisely in your weakness. That's how you are strong. Listen, if you live like a Christian at all, you will. The Bible says this, not you may. You will, and likely already have, drawn the fire of unbelievers. Good grief, you draw the fire of ungodly Christians. You get it from every direction. To say nothing of the devil himself. Eventually, the darts will be heading your way. In fact, I think you know that they have already. For me, glibly to stand up here and say to you, well, be strong, be strong. That would be futile. That would be the ultimate in frustration. But the good news is that I tell you this, be strengthened. Be strengthened in God's strength and then quit you like men. Flex the muscles that God energizes by his strength that work in you to live a godly life as you fight temptation, as you endure the hardships that the world puts on the Christian soldier, as you you subdue every thought. You have this power because this power belongs to you in Christ, so don't tell me you can't. I don't want to hear you can't. You have the strength by God's strength to take every thought captive to Christ before they work out in deeds. And you minister then and turn to your fellow soldiers on the field of battle as together you storm the gates of hell. You're not weak. This is not a congregation of weaklings. This is a congregation of Herculeses because God's strength is at work in you. Be strong. You are stronger than you even know you are. Because God is at work in you. The power of Christ rests upon you always. Our byword is this. 
I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And finally and fifthly, let all you do be done in love. Now, I'd feel kind of bad if, uh, uh, for having come to the end of our time this morning and not having time to spend as much time on this fifth commandment as I have the first four, but you yourselves know that we spent weeks and weeks and weeks on this topic of Christian love. So go back, review chapter 13, listen to those sermons if that will be helpful. But let me point out to you just one thing. Paul says that we must do these things, all these things, in love. Which means, of course, that love is not an additional commandment. Love is not something we sort of tack on to the rest of these things. No, love is the all-governing, all-saturating, all-consuming command, isn't it? Watch, stand, act like men, be strong, but all of it, all of it in love, all of it in love. This is, this is the life-governing principle. This is the umbrella under which everything else exists. This is the, our uh, comprehensive mode of operation, soldiers. It is love. Sometimes, alas, we're apt to forget this as Christians, aren't we? We're, we're all together ready to fight. Oh, we, we're ready to fight. We love fighting, don't we? We're ready to fight. Show us a fight. We're going to get in it. But not lovingly. To act like men. But not like men whose passions are channeled by love. The surest path to conquest is, as Jude put it, to keep yourselves in the love of God. You want to know how to wed strength and love? Masculine faith and charity, power and tenderness, might and gentleness. You know where to look. You know with whom you need to spend some time, don't you, to see what that looks like? Jesus. In him we see the life that we're called to live as Christians. As he conquered, so we conquer, like captain, like soldiers, watching, standing with courage and strength, all baptized and perfected in love. Amen.